Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Um, let me ask this question. How many of you have been to a graduation ceremony lately? A couple of you? It's been a while for me. Um, hopefully we'll have another one in December. Not naming names. Um, but um, one of the things about graduation ceremonies, um, there's always the speeches. Uh, and there's been some good speeches I've heard, some not so good. Uh, someone actually wrote an article called Beware the Graduation Speech. And, and I want to share part of what he said about graduation speeches. He said, most commencement addresses boil down to just three sentiments. First, that you're amazing. Because you are, right? Second, that you need to follow your dreams because that's your best thing to do in life. And the last one is that you should never, ever give up. But the truth is, the truth is you can't do anything that you set your mind to. Uh, you can't be whatever you want to be. You aren't the last best hope for the planet Earth, and you shouldn't always follow your dreams. You shouldn't always even believe in yourself. And you should never expect life's most meaningful gifts to come through unchecked self-expression. Um, that, that classic description of character, um, it, it's barely heard in today's, uh, today's world. Um, today's morals, it, 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 they just, they're just so different than what was been taught in the past. See, graduation speeches today suggest a different set of virtues. Um, they suggest diversity, self-expression, confidence, and, and don't let other people stand in your way, stick to a divinus. That's not really a word, but, but the cardinal issues, the cardinal virtues that anchored moral thought in the West for the last 2,500 years have been forgotten. They've just been left by the side of the road. See, today's courage is self-willed perseverance it, it bears some semblance to the older definition, but missing from that are the accompanying virtues of patience and self-sacrifice for the sake of others. See, on Father's Day, the message it normally will do for dads, it's something similar to graduation speeches. Step it up, man up, be strong and courageous as a father. And I recognize the truth that today it may be difficult for some of you. Maybe your dad has passed on. Some of you may have a father who has deserted you or abandoned you. Uh, and there are dads here today who feel discouraged and others that just seem to have been disparaged by their children. There may be some dads who are delighted but, but don't really like the attention that Father's Day brings. So in our passage today in Joshua chapter 1, instead of God just telling Joshua, because you're amazing, you, you just need to follow your dreams, you never should give up, what we're going to see instead is that because God is amazing, that he has some plans for Joshua. And because, because God is strong, Joshua can be courageous. So I want to look at the first nine verses in the first chapter of Joshua this morning. But before we do, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you that we have such an amazing Father in you in heaven. Lord, I just am thankful for the fathers that are here today who have invested in their children, who have taken the time to be part of their lives. And Lord, I pray for that today they see the strength and courage that they need 
to be the leaders that God has called them to be. Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for just the, the, the encouragement that we find in it, that we can be faithful and obedient to you and live lives that glorify you and bring others into a relationship with your son. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for what he's done for all of us. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So Joshua chapter 1, if we start in the first verse, God's word says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, try to say Moses', Moses's assistant, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What we see in this passage is that it's time for Joshua to graduate. It's graduation day for Joshua, and he has been chosen to become the leader of God's people. He's been chosen to be the leader that God designed him to be. And before we look at his marching orders in this passage, we need to set the scene. Um, this new generation, a new generation is standing on the banks of the river Jordan, wondering, concerned if they have the faith to do what their wandering parents weren't able to. In this group of some estimates, say two million people, it's, they're on the verge of claiming the promises of God, claiming the promised land, but they're still frightened. They're frightened they're going to commit the same sin as their parents, that they're going to wander away from what God desired. Their parents who had died because of their disobedience. And they're in a tough spot. Their leader, Moses, he's gone. He's dead. But they're on the verge of victory, with only the Jordan River standing between them and the land that is flowing with milk and honey. And they're not proud of their past. They're not. But they're frightened about the future. Can you relate to that? I mean, we have a past that we're concerned about. We're concerned about the future. Maybe today you're worried about turning out the way that your ancestors, your parents, or your grandparents did. Maybe you've just been wandering in the wilderness like the people had, experiencing more failures than faithfulness. 
Now, at this time of year, um, normally the Jordan River was easy to cross, but during this time, during the flood season, it was a treacherous crossing. In southern sections, the distance would swell to over two miles from bank to bank. And it's important for us to see that God had called his people. He had called them to cross the Jordan when it is precisely at its most dangerous and when it seems the most impossible. The Jordan, it also served as the boundary. It stood as the boundary between what the Israelites presently had and what God had promised them on the other side. Which begs the question, what's your Jordan River today? What kind of barriers are you facing? Ultimately, where is God asking you to take a step of faith? And if you're not sure what that is, where God's asking you to step out in faith, just ask yourself this question, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Maybe, maybe you're afraid of rejection because you think, well, if I tell people about Christ and they say, hey, I don't want anything to do with that, you think they're rejecting you, and they're not. Maybe you think that if you start living a life that glorifies Christ and being faithful and different than the world, then your friends or your family might reject you. And if it is, that's where you need to take that step of faith. Maybe you're afraid of failure. I mean, nobody likes to fail, do they? Nobody, <laughs> just, when I started college, it had been a while, and I had to take ACT thingy, and just throwing it out there, I bombed the math section. <laughs> I, I mean, they handed me a calculator, and I thought, what a calculator? You can't have a calculator to do math. So I bombed it. I had to take remedial math, just not even a credit class, because I failed. But I didn't let that failure keep me from moving forward. I could have let it hold me back and say, look, I'm not cut out for this. But I didn't. On the other hand, maybe you're afraid of success. Maybe you're actually afraid of succeeding because that might mean that the church grows. That might mean that things change. Which means that you're afraid of losing control. Maybe you're afraid of opposition because any time that change is at present, people are going to be opposed to it because people like the status quo. Maybe you're afraid of the future because it's an unknown. We don't know what tomorrow holds, let alone what's going to happen later today. Maybe your fear is the past. And you're afraid that, that your past and those decisions or mistakes that you've made, that they're going to haunt you. Or maybe you're afraid of the unknown. Listen to me, your fear, what you're afraid of, it's going to tell you where you need to take that step of faith and just step out and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Because I know you're calling me to something greater and better. Symbolically in Scripture, the Jordan always represents decision. So uh, we're going to get into the outline that's in your worship guide today. We're going to see that there are five leadership lessons from Joshua's life that can be applied not to just fathers, but to any follower of Christ. And let's look at the first one. The first thing we need to do is to submit to the purposes of God. We need to submit 
to the purposes of God. After Moses dies, God speaks to Joshua, who had already been so serving as the assistant to Moses, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Which Joshua's probably like, yeah, I kind of got that. He's not with us anymore. And God says, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving you to the people of Israel. See, I picture Joshua feeling inadequate, that I'm not capable enough to do this. I I, I can't do this by myself, but God says, arise, Joshua. You need to stand up. You need to get out of your pew. You need to start moving. He says, Joshua, you're not on the bench anymore. You are going into the game. I have a mission for you. And Joshua's told what to do. I want you to go over the Jordan, just cross this river, you and all these people. And God's making it clear to Joshua that this is God's work. Just as he had used Moses in the past, that God had used Moses as a leader and an instrument of achieving his own purposes, he's now going to use Joshua and it tells me something so amazing that God's plans, God's plans and desires don't die. They don't die with the departure of one person. Because God's work is not dependent on one man or one woman. And at times, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to fill the shoes of somebody who has came before you. And, and just as a pastor, it's always in the back of my mind thinking, oh, people are going to be thinking, well, he doesn't do it like he did, and he's not doing what he did, and he's doing this and that. You're going to be compared to the people that have come before and maybe you've experienced something similar. Maybe, maybe you've played sports and, you know, the last guy who was the pitcher, he went on to play for a major league baseball team, and now you're filling his shoes? Maybe you joined the band. Maybe you accepted a promotion at the work. Maybe you've just filled a gap in a relationship or a family. There's going to be those comparisons. There's going to be those feelings of inadequacy. But God says we need to submit. We need to submit to his purposes. Next, we need to seize the promises of God. We need to seize the promises of God. God always keeps his promises. So he goes on and he says, Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot touches, every single step that you take, every move that you make, I'm going to give that land to you, just like I promised to Moses. And don't miss the important fact that the people actually had to go into the land. They had to get out of their comfort zone and go do something for it to happen. They have to take the territory that God is giving them so that they can possess it. They're actually told to possess it more than 20 times. And sometimes, sometimes we need to be reminded what we're supposed to be doing as well. Now, the promise of the land, it goes all the way back to Genesis, to Genesis chapter 12, the promise to Abraham. 
But verse 4, God gives the specs of the land. He's giving them the lay of the land. And what it's like he, he, he's, he's done the survey. He says, from this wilderness and this Lebanon, um, as far as the great river, the great river Euphrates, as far as that is, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, going, to the going down of the sun, that's what you're going to get. What's interesting is this is so much more than the Israelites ever claimed. The section that God promised them covers around 300,000 square miles, but Israel only ever possessed about 30,000 square miles, 10%. And today, the nation of Israel is only around 8,000 square miles. God also promises them success in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. God's saying, Joshua, there's going to be people that are going to try to get in front of you and hold you back and not allow you to do what I've told you to do, but they will not stand all the days of your life. And he promises, Joshua, I will be right there with you. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. Now, the word leave in that passage, it refers to dropping or, or abandoning somebody. See, we can count on his presence because of his promise. Romans 8.31 says, if, if God is for us, you don't know how that ends? Romans 8.31 who can be against us? See, we are to submit to the purpose of, purposes of God. We are to seize the promises of God. And the third, that leads to the third leadership lesson, that we need to stand on the precepts of God. Uh, that word precepts, it's just a word for the commands, the laws of God. Um, at this two different times in this passage, God speaks the same words to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Now, that word strong, it's kind of neat because it comes from the word that means to twist together pieces of rope. And courageous, it means to persist. It means to conquer. And in Joshua 1.7, God tells him, only be strong and courageous. He's saying, really, the only thing that needs to be done is to have abundant courage. And when God sees our fears... He wants to fill us with courage. Isaiah 43, verse, verses 1 and 2, God says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. It's interesting to me that God tells Joshua three times, three times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Because when something's repeated three times in Scripture, it, it communicate, it, it's really communicating the greatest possible emphasis. It's like, holy, holy, holy. In Isaiah 6, in Deuteronomy 31, Moses charged Joshua with being strong and courageous. And three different times in Joshua, the people say to him, 
only be strong and courageous. The people, they're promising to follow Joshua's leadership as long as he is strong and courageous. And that's cool. That is so neat to me because God is urging him. He's saying, be strong and courageous. The people are cheering him on, saying, Joshua, we're going to follow you because you're going to be strong and courageous. But then there's a warning. In verse 7, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. In verse 8, it says, be careful. To, do, to be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And what that tells me, that it's not enough to just agree with God's word. He just doesn't want to say, okay, I know what your word says. He wants us to be obedient to it. He wants us to do what it says. Psalm 119, verse 60 says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. I hasten. I'm not putting off what you've told me to do. It, let me ask this. Is there anything that you've been putting off, anything that you've been delaying that you know God is telling you to do right now? See, if you're disobeying him, if you are directly disobeying what God wants you to do, you need to stop, you need to confess it, and you need to stick with what his word teaches. Up until this point, God has spoke directly to his servants, but now things, they've been written down. They have the five books of Moses. And even today, we're called to read and obey that same book. Joshua was told in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And, and there's really quickly, there's a couple things that we see right there that we need to do. The first is we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. The Bible, it, it, it needs to be on our lips. We have to talk about it freely. We need to quote it. We need to refer it. And that is especially important for parents. We see that in Deuteronomy 6, 7. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You need to teach what my word says diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We need to be constantly talking about God's word. We're also told to think about it. We need to think about it. Uh, to meditate, this is a great word, it, 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 it literally means to chew on. Kind of like chewing on a cud, cow thingy. It means kind of to mutter or dialogue with the Word. It's about memorizing. It's about thinking about God's Word all the time. I know when I'm out during the day, if you ever see me walking and I'm by myself and I'm talking, <laughs> I'm not completely crazy, just, just a tad bit, but I'm always talking to myself about God's Word because it needs to be part of who we are. We need to make it that much of a of our, part of our lives that it's just there. Let me ask this. What do you spend more time thinking about? 
Do you spend more time thinking about God's Word, or do you spend more time thinking about sports, or another activity, or a person? God has to be first there. His Word has to be first. So we need to talk about it, think about it. The last one is we need to live it out. We need to live it out. Um, it, it, it has to move from just talking about God's Word to just thinking about it and chewing on it and digesting it. And we, we, we have to start living out God's Word. See, the Word, it has to come out of our mouths, but it also has to be evident in our lives and how we live. I love Deuteronomy 30, chapter 30, verse 14. But the Word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, we're, we are meant to submit to the purposes of God, seize the promises of God, stand on the precepts of God, and fourth, the fourth one, we are to soak in the presence of God. We need to soak in the presence of God. Uh, I, I, to me, I, I, I just love the fact here that God is always with us, that He's always present. And Joshua, he needed that assurance. He needed to, 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 to just know that God was going to be with him. That's why God says, just as I was with Moses, just like I was with him, I'm going to be with you, and I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you, I'm never going to abandon you, Joshua, because I am with you. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you. And that same promise is given to believers today in Hebrews 13, 5, where God again says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it kind of reminds me of the four-year-old who was trying to recite the Lord's Prayer. And one Sunday, uh, he prayed in a loud voice. He said, our Father, who art in heaven, I know you know my name. Because he does. See, as brothers and sisters in Christ, do you have the confidence and the assurance that God knows your name? That he not just knows your name, but he's with you right here, right now. See, some of us, we start struggling. We start struggling when we can't feel him nearby. Uh, but it's at that time, when those times hit us, that's when we need to claim this truth by faith that God is with us. I mean, listen, when you're struggling, when you start struggling with being strong and you're caving in instead of demonstrating courage, you need to remember that you are surrounded and filled with the presence of God. God's presence will give you the power and the ability to do what he's called you to do in life. And you can have courage because of the character of God himself. So we're to submit to the purposes of God, seize the promises of God, stand on the precepts of God, soak in the presence of God, and I know you're excited. Finally, we need to stay on point with God. We need to stay on point with God. In the last chapter of the book of Joshua, Joshua is a man, he's 110 years old. Anybody older than that here? Didn't think so. Joshua is about 110 years old, and Joshua 24, verse 2 says that he's speaking to all the people. 
And it means that the message that he's sharing is for everyone. And after recounting the history so that they don't forget, because if you don't know the past, that's just bad, Joshua rises up and he challenges the people to respond because he knows they are undecided. In verses 14 and 15, it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you dwell. But, but as for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua... He knows the human heart. He knows how we are. He knows our condition. And he knows how hard it is for us to surrender our will to God. He knows that when we become complacent, he knows that when we become content, that's when we are prone to compromise and to give in. And some of us will even start procrastinating and putting things off so that we can avoid any kind of commitment. So I want to look at there's a fourfold challenge really quickly in this. First, we need to fear the Lord. The word now in this passage, Joshua says, now, therefore, fear the Lord. He's saying, now, it, 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 he's saying in light of everything that God's done, it, that he's taken us as, as a people out of Egypt. He's allowed us to cross the, the Jordan River. He's allowed us to take possession of the land. Now, therefore, because of what God has done, we need to tremble before him. And we need to understand and see him as being holy. We need to fear the Lord. We need to serve the Lord. Joshua, he's calling the people to serve the Lord with all they have, with everything they, they are. And I don't know if you know this, but the word serve in Hebrew, it comes from the same root as worship. It's actually used 15 times in that chapter. And that just reminds us that worship it has to lead to us working. Three times the people respond, saying, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. Then we need to throw away idols. It's, to me, well, it shouldn't be, but it's amazing how many times God's people were, were tripped up, got off course because they wouldn't get rid of their idols. And we think, well, today, I don't have any idols. I mean, I might watch American Idol, but I don't have any real idols. I don't have a little statue in my house. I don't have some little household god that I'm, I'm like, give, give me peace today. But an idol, at the end of the day, is really anything that is loved or feared more than God. And it can involve the worship of, of, of a person, an image, an object, an activity, an idea. Anything that you love or fear more than God has become an idol in your life. And we need to understand the truth that nothing, nothing and no one can hold the central space in our lives except God. And the last one is choose whom you will serve. You need to choose. 
Do you see how there is a choice that's required in this? A choice that has to become personal. He says, choose today whom you. And it's urgent. He's saying, choose this day, right now, whom you will serve. And, and so many of us, we start getting a little wishy-washy, we start wavering, we start hesitating, because all we want to do is we want to keep one foot in with God, and we want to keep the other foot in the world. We want to have our cake, and we want to eat it. But spiritual indecision will only lead to confusion. Or you could say it as indifference will lead us to indecision. And as a parent, Joshua, Joshua is choosing to live out his faith for the sake of his family. He is determining, he is making the decision that his faith will be lived out in his home. He says, but as for me and my house, we, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is the head of his household. He says, as for me, I, you know what? You guys can make your own decision. You guys can make your own choices. But he's saying, me and my household, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to follow God. And we're not going to follow the ways of the world. And we're not going to try to mingle our th everything. We're going to put God first. And, and don't miss this. As a parent, as a grandparent, you cannot pass something on to your child or your children or your grandchildren that you don't have yourself. As a father, Joshua has decided to set the spiritual temperature in his home because he is the priest of the family. And studies, studies, have, shown, studies have shown that the influence of a parent is two to three times more influential than any church program in passing along faith to the next generation. Did you know that? So the question for us this morning, it's an urgent one. It's a choice. It's a choice that will not only determine your future, where you go, but, but it could also determine the future of someone that you care about for the people around you because of the impact that you could have on their lives. And it's a choice of who you serve. Actually, it's more a choice of who you choose to surrender to. It's a choice of who or what is first in your life? So ask yourself, will it be an object that's first? Will it be an idea? Will it be a person? Will it be a set of rules? Some kind of goal? Will it just be you and nothing else? Or will Jesus be first? The one who came to save us from our sins, who came to restore our relationship with God the Father and to give us life to the fullest. See, that's your choice today, who you serve, who you surrender to. Will it be Jesus and Jesus alone? This morning as the worship team comes,
but you have to really make this choice. Joshua made it clear that this is today. This isn't later today. This isn't tomorrow. Joshua says, today, I'm making a choice. And maybe you need to make that choice as well. To know that Christ, that Christ died for you. That he gave his own life in exchange for yours. That he was killed, that he was buried, but on that third day raised back to life. Letting us know the truth that he is the only way. He is the only truth and he is the only savior. Romans 10.9 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And it's a choice because he won't make you choose him. He'll let you go down your own paths. He'll let you make your own mistakes and he'll never force himself on you. But no matter how bad or how many mistakes you've made, he is there for you. He's always standing with open arms, ready to receive you back as part of his family. And none of those things that happened yesterday and last week and last month or 20 years ago, none of those matter because they're forgiven. Today, maybe you know Christ and you've chosen to let other things get in the way of that relationship, that your priorities have gotten a little bit out of whack, that you have put other things before him and he's lost that priority. Choose today who you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We're going to sing a song of invitation, and I encourage you, if you need to make a choice today, whether that's to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today, or to make a choice to surrender to Him and serve Him with no thought for yourself, I encourage you to do that. Because he is worth it. And he deserves it. I'm going to pray. We'll sing and I encourage you to come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, for just the example of Joshua. That he lived his life in obedience and faithfulness. That he took seriously that call to be strong and courageous. And even towards the end of his life, he made that choice he said Lord I'm going to follow you no matter the cost no matter no matter the, what anybody else does because you're worth it Lord just be with us this morning and let us help let's just help us put you first in everything to put aside our own desires and wants and needs and put yours first so that we can see your kingdom grow, that we can see lives changed, and we can see just your amazing power work through this city, in this state, in this country, and even around the world. But let it start here with us. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Please stand.